Today's episode is dedicated to covering the wide world of fermented drinks, all accessible, makeable in your own kitchen right now. We talk about over 20 different fermented drinks, including SCOBY ferments, whey ferments, grain ferments, and wild ferments. And we tell you how you can incorporate these super health-giving, delicious foods into your life. So if you've ever asked the question, what fermented drinks can I make? Or what other fermented drinks can I make? This episode's for you. You'll leave informed, inspired, and ready to get going on some new fermented drinks for you and your family to enjoy. Patrons can head over to the Treasure Trove and download the exclusive document Andrea and I created with four of our favourite fermented drinks, yeast water, wild wine, punch and kombucha. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Good morning, Allison. Hey, good afternoon. In the middle of the thunderstorm uh. over here. <laughs> oh dear. Hopefully we won't well, go kind of down in the middle of the recording. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Um, it has been uh, rainy and cold, but this entire week we're supposed to be in the 70s and quite sunny and dry. So That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. We're switching, switching weather yeah. temperaments from the here. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> So, have you have you eaten, or what was the last thing you ate? Well, actually, I'm going to tell you the last thing I made. Um, okay, because it's actually for lunch today, um, and it is out of our new cookbook. So, I have oat cakes fermenting. Okay, and so I'm going to cook those up on the pan today, and then I actually already slow cooked a heart. I cut it, put it into a container in the fridge. Yum. Strained the broth. Uh, fed the spent veg to the dogs. It made the dogs meal, um, like with their other meaty food, and um, poured the broth into a container. Then let it cool. Took the fat off, and so now I have a jar of fat. I have a half a gallon of broth. I fed the animals, Excellent. and I have a heart in the fridge. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. So and that was you're going to put it recipe. in the pancakes, are you? Well, what I was thinking was. I'm going to, lunchtime, we just don't have much time to make food. So like cooking it for lunch, is kind of unrealistic for me. So I wanted it already cooked. And then, yeah. yeah, I can sort of shred it up and heat it on the pan while the oat cakes are cooking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then uh, the oat cakes go on plates. I can pile, so you can sort of like pile the meat on top. Maybe I'll even scramble an egg or fry an egg or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I... Got a little bit of sauerkraut left, mm -hmm. but I do need to start more. And that recipe's in the cookbook too, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yep, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, so it's really going to be an ancestral kitchen cookbook lunch. So, if, if listeners haven't um, don't know about the cookbook, <laughs> go back and listen to episode fifty six, which is all about um, 
the way we cook and the cookbook and you can go find the cookbook yeah. there'll be a link in the show notes or you can go just to andrea's site farmandhearth.com forward slash shop and you will see it there and if you top. are a patron you're yeah. going to get it you already have it so yeah. it's it's our gift to the patrons as well so if you are a yeah. patron go hop into your you know where your treasure trove is, where you've got all your links of all the downloadables we create for you. So go grab it in there. Speaking of patrons, Allison, no, wait, yeah. no, you have to tell me what you ate. I was going to okay. say. Okay. Hold on. I was all excited about the patrons then. <laughs> um, I know, me too. Gabriel's off school. It's a holiday here in Italy today. Oh. And so okay. he joined us for lunch, which was nice. And we had something called Goethe. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly. It's spelt um, G-O-E-T-T-A. And it's a dish from Cincinnati that the German immigrants to Cincinnati created. A lot of people think it's actually from Germany, but it's not. And um, I made it um, two, three days ago in the slow cooker. So I put Mm. a pork shoulder in the slow cooker with lots of water and onions and celery chopped up. And I cooked it overnight and then I shredded it all. I poured in a ton of... um, groat oats so whole oats before they'd been you know rolled or anything they're just whole mm-hmm. oat groats and then I did that about seven o'clock in the morning the next morning and let those cook and soak up all of the stock that come out of that meat and then I added the shredded pork back in stirred it around put some bay leaves in and um, some salt and pepper and that mm-hmm. cooked for about another five hours and then we had it fresh kind of that day but then the rest of it I put into loaf tins let cool put in the fridge and then you can slice it and fry it so that's what we did today nice we sliced it and fried it in lard and before I put that in the pan I'd fried a load of mushrooms for a long time I really like mushrooms that you when you fry them for ages you know yeah Um, oh me too so um that was with some sage so we had mushrooms that had been fried in sage that I kept warm with the slices of Goethe that I'd fried. And then there was some salad in the fridge, which I made a couple of days ago. Put that on the plate with some sauerkraut. And perfect. the last of our ancestral ale, we made a batch five days ago. We bottled it. And it's still really good. It's like the best. I mean, it's, we're honing our recipe each time and it's the best version, really, that we've made um, and it's still really good five days in. It's not tasting like it's, um, you know, getting overrun by bacteria that sour it. And so we all had a glass of that too. It was it was a lovely dinner. Really nice. No, I love that. Yeah, that sounds great. Unfortunately, none I love of it's it. in the cookbook yet. We have to do another cookbook now. We need to put all those recipes in. <laughs> it's going to have to happen. Yeah. I love dishes like that where, uh, like the Goethe, where you said you can slice it. Yeah. Um, you know, head cheese would be one of those. Um, mm. Even the heart kind of falls in that category, yeah, I guess. You know, something you can make, have cold, shred it. You could eat it cold, but, you know, it's kind of nice to have it hot. And do you know how Kitty always talks about how you, if you, you when you boil the mushrooms or something like that, mm. can't, aren't they like endocrine absorbers or something? Oh, I don't know. Um, but you have to boil them for a really long time or whatever. So maybe cooking okay. mushrooms for a long time oh. causes some kind of a transition that you're sensitive to. I don't That's know. That's interesting. I just, yeah. I really like yeah. them that way. I don't, I just, the, the flavors concentrate. I think that's why I like them. Yeah, I, um, I agree. And they're I, like 90% water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and they're, they're delicious like that. I like them cold as well. If you've done too many, I put them in the fridge and then I just eat them the next day cold. 
really hey, yummy. Jacob, you can take this if you want. Okay. Um. All right. We talked food. Yeah. We talked weather. Yeah, we got to talk patrons. We've got some new patrons <laughs> since the last Talked time patrons. we spoke. Um, I don't know when the last time we spoke was. It was so long ago. It was quite a while ago. I don't so even anyway, remember. we have three new patrons who've come on to our monthly companionship level. Um, so welcome, welcome Kay Clifton. Welcome Janaya. I hope I pronounced your name right. And welcome Andre. And uh, Andre is on the Discord. Definitely, we've had a chat with her. Oh great. Um, if I'm not sure Janaya and Kay aren't yet, but they hopefully they will be soon. Um, and we've had um, some patrons sign up for the annual option. You get a discount if you want to support us for a whole year. Um, and then you get all those benefits at slightly reduced price. Um, and we've got yeah. over 30 patrons now. It's a wonderful community. And as you said earlier, they've got our cookbook and they get our exclusive podcast and they get tons of other mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and they're just wonderful people and we love interacting with them. So thank you all and thank you to those three new ones since the last time we talked. It's so fun to see that there are other people doing this and other people interested, yeah. you know. I mean, obviously people are listening to the podcast so we know that. And then when you have a conversation with someone and they say, you know, wow, look what this did for uh, my husband or look what this did for, you know, my health or whatever. And you're thinking, wow, this is really making a difference and that's really exciting yeah that's it, completely that's um and it it not only does it taste wonderful but it does all that too which is just wonderful. and you've got some, you've got some you reviews can, haven't you yeah yeah i was gonna say yeah. another way you can yeah. support the podcast is leaving us a review it yeah. makes a huge difference and that's something you and i are learning more about but without reviews podcasts are never shown to other listeners so thank you all for leaving reviews and if you um haven't left a review yet or actually i think sometimes you can leave them more than once go on and leave your most honest five-star review <laughs> <laughs> i've got two reviews here to read one is from christy Cal, mm -hmm. and she gave five stars and said simply the best i am a huge fan of this podcast the information really is simple and the steps given are so helpful. It makes me strive to be better in my own kitchen in the ways of the world. I so enjoy listening to this. It is like a comforting chat with old friends. So cool that they're literally halfway around the world from each other. The information and practical steps show how attainable this lifestyle can be. And doing some of the practices is better than doing none. Exactly right, Chrissy. Yeah. My guess is once you start, it just keeps on rolling from there. Even if it takes time, that is completely okay. Wonderful okay. show and content, ladies. Please keep it up. Thank 100%. you. Hundred percent. Yeah, Christy. thank you for saying that. Thank you. Yeah, one, once you start, it does keep on rolling. Yeah. You just kind of get sucked in, and it yeah. is better. Just even if you did one thing, it's better than doing none of them. Yeah. And we also have a comment from Natalu eighty seven, and they said, "Like family." I love this podcast. Mm. Even though I'm on the beginning of my ancestral health journey, I really love listening. I often feel like I'm sitting down for a chat with my sister. Well, I hope your sisters are nice. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good comparison. <laughs> yes, I love that. Oh, thank you. Natalie. It's nice that um, so many people who reach out to us do feel as if we're kind of friends and we're sitting around a table together chatting because, I mean, that's yeah. what you and I do. And yes. despite being, yeah. as Christy said, halfway around the world, you know, we've never met. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, we do feel like sisters, or I do anyway. 
And um, that's really nice to that? hear that vibe. Is that weird? We've actually never met each other in person. Yeah. It doesn't even seem possible. Not yet. Hmm. I'm just an AI, Alison. You have no idea. I'm just a really, really good AI. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. That's scary. Made to interact with your personality. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Are you looking for a powerful source of nutrients to enhance your overall health and well-being? Look no further than beef organ capsules from One Earth Health, where the cattle graze on lush New Zealand pastures. The beef organs are sourced from 100% pasture-raised cattle, ensuring that you receive the highest quality and most nutrient-dense organ meat available. Beef organs are some of the most nutrient-dense foods you can find, with high levels of vitamins A, K and the B complex. Customers report more energy, improved skin health and a strengthened immune system, thanks to the powerful nutrients found in these organs. For a limited time, One Earth Health is offering Ancestral Kitchen Podcast listeners a 5% discount on all orders and free shipping. Each bottle has 200 capsules and comes in cheaper than other New Zealand-based organ supplements. Take advantage of this amazing deal and experience the benefits of beef organs for yourself. Order now and enjoy the incredible health benefits of One Earth Health's beef organs made with care and quality in New Zealand. Visit oneearthhealth.com forward slash ancestral kitchen. The link is in the show notes. <laughs> so oh, today, goodness, we are doing yeah. a podcast we've been meaning to do for about two years. And finally, we, we, we got to it. Um, and Yay. we thought quite a long time about what the title would be. And the title is just so obvious. What fermented drinks yeah. can I make? Because... How we, could you be more clear than that? We're both super fans of fermented drinks and I didn't really realise quite how many I did until I sat down and we planned this episode together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there are tons of them and they are yeah, wonderful. there's a lot. And each, each of them is different and will bring different things and uses different yeah. produce. So we My are going to dive is... into them. Yeah. 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 My guess is, Allison, there's so many different drinks and probably most families will settle into a few favorites. Yeah. That's what you and I did. Like I tried a lot and we sort of got our rhythm set up with a couple that we really love. And then you can whip out some of them every once in a while. Like not all of them really need this long continuous process. Mm. Um, some of them can just literally be made up on the spot um, and left to ferment for a couple of days with no, you know, year-long anticipation or maintenance of anything so um also i have this theory allison Mm. tell me if you think it's true but i don't know if it's the same over there in europe Mm. (laughs) but there's such an obsession over here not with mineral water but with sparkling water sparkling drinks fizzy Mm. drinks carbonated Mm. drinks Mm. there's a huge obsession with them you know, bottled, like glass bottled water and over here was brought out as a sort of response to the temperance okay, <laughs> temperance okay. push where people were not drinking alcohol, but they wanted a bottle. So they would get like bottled water and mineral waters and things like that. Mm. Um, now there's these, you know, like all the cans of sodas and things that you can get that aren't really soda, but they're sparkling. Yeah. And my theory is that we're so obsessed with them because we're desperately craving fermentation. Mm. And we know that like our body knows that that 
fizzy feeling is the result of yeast consuming mm. carbohydrates. And so it feels like it scratches an itch, but it doesn't totally because you have to come back for more and more. And like, there's really no satisfying, like people need a lot of it. So that's my theory. Yeah, no, that makes sense that our bodies would have some kind of instinct towards bubbles because naturally mm-hmm. they are a produce of fermentation, which yeah. brings a lot of other goodies along with it. So I, I don't refute your theory. I think it's, it's mm-hmm. potentially spot on. So we're going to sort these. Yeah. We tr- we, well, I also have a theory a about straws, yeah. Alison. <laughs> Do you want to tell us that one or not? <laughs> My theory about straws is like, okay, I have to tell you, Alison. My theory about straws, because everyone's obsessed with straws, is that it's this like primal breastfeeding need. <laughs> oh, so like, you have to pucker oh, your mouth. Like, like, why? Why would you be so obsessed with a straw? Yeah. yeah. And why do you want your drink to go all the way to the back of your throat? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. No, I can, I can understand. I that. just I try to think ancestrally and think what yeah. what ancient tradition is pulling us back. Okay, mm. let's move on. Mm. Let's talk about drinks. <laughs> so you divided our fermented drinks into sections to try because we have so many of them. We thought we've got to put some put right. them in some sort of order. So we've got kind of we split them up into the type mm-hmm. of ferment they are. So we're going to start with. SCOBY ferments. Andrew, what's SCOBY mean? Yeah. Do you know what SCOBY means? A symbiotic culture or colony of yeah. bacteria and yeast. All right, there we go. I knew you'd yeah. know that, you see. It's just an acronym. So um, the first one that we've got <laughs> under here is water kefir, which we make every single day. And in our house, Gabriel makes it. And he's just turned nine. So really, that explains to you, once you get into the swing of it, how simple it is that my nine-year-old can do it. Um, it has water kefir grains, which are distinct from milk kefir grains, and it eats sugar. You can use many different types of sugar, and we tend to use a mix of a golden sugar and a very dark sugar, um, which changes the flavour of the kefir, you know, what type of sugar you use. And then we do a second fermentation once um, those grains have done some of the fermenting. We bottle it, sieve the grains out, bottle it, and put extra things in the bottle so perhaps pieces of fruit or some dried fruits some raisins pretty much always ginger mm. um, which helps give extra fizz and that really the set the, the point of that second fermentation is to give you that fizz which makes the drink such fun for children you know to have that fizz it's like a soda um there is, lots of people have asked me questions about water kefir and we were just talking about the cookbook a few moments ago. There is a water kefir 101 in the um, Ancestral podcast, Ancestral Kitchen podcast cookbook, which goes through all the questions I've had like, you know, can I use my water kefir grains for other things? Can I use different sugars? Mm. My water kefir isn't fizzy, what can I do? All the kind of questions that come up. But really, I, I mean, I love water kefir. We've been drinking it right back since when we first got nourishing traditions like so over a decade ago yeah and absolutely gable loves it and he's had friends around here who've never had it before some of them don't like it but some of them really do like it you know and they're not used to it at all so it's a great one to introduce people to and it's a great one for just experimenting with putting whatever flavors you want in that second ferment um and it's just, it's pleasing, really pleasing. That's, that's my two cents yeah. on water kefir, which I love, for sure. Yeah. 
And if it seems like we refer to the book a lot, it's because we made it out of the things we were asked the most about. Yeah. So it's true. going to, the more it comes up, the more you know we hit the nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> um, the milk kefir, why don't you do that one too? Since yeah. Okay. Milk kefir um, is another SCOBY ferment and the grains look similar to water kefir grains. They're can be a similar size, but water kefir grains are usually transparent, whereas milk kefir grains mm. are kind of creamy white. And really, I think the best way to make milk kefir is with raw milk because it's so bioactive. You know, pasteurized milk has been wiped. You know, its slate of bacteria and yeast has been wiped clean. Whereas if you work with raw milk, you're working with a, a real life product do go back and listen to the raw milk episode that we did a few episodes back if you haven't, because it's a wonderful episode. Milk kefir is stronger than water kefir. When they've done, you know, scientists have done analysis on it and it has more strains of um, probiotics in it. So if you are sensitive to probiotics, it's one that you have to take quite slowly. It's just, it, but again, it's just a wonderful ferment and so simple. You have your milk. You put the kefir grains in, you stir them around, and then you just leave it kind of in a warm place for a couple of days. Keep tasting it. Take the grains out when it's the consistency that you like. You could have just a very light ferment, or you can take it you know, to the point where it's separating and, and it's really kind of strong. And it's, it's wonderful to drink. It's wonderful to put in smoothies. It's wonderful to put on top of fruit. It's really, really versatile. Um, I know that people say that milk kefir grains and water kefir grains aren't interchangeable. And generally, that is true. Though I do know um, Kirsten Shockey has a course called 30 Days of Fermentation, which we talked about in the interview we did with her in January this year. Um, you can get a 10% discount on that course with the link um, that's in our show notes and in that she does make a fruit ferment with milk kefir grains so although generally you you oh. keep them separately you know you you put water kefir grains in water kefir and you put milk kefir grains in milk kefir um, you can experiment with them to some extent and I've done that with water kefir grains as well I've done water kefir grains in watermelon juice in fruit juice in other types of sugary ferments um so okay. yeah that you you make milky for a lot don't you andrea i mean because you have so much milk yeah we we do we make a lot of it <clears throat> well i don't have so much milk right now since mm, the cow's dry yeah, but yeah. that's why i was making so much of it maybe a half a gallon a day and i think we have about six half gallons left so we'll see how long it lasts us how long it's does great it keep in, in your fridge? Uh, cultured milk smoothie in nourishing traditions. Oh, oh yeah. gosh, a long time. I've kept it months, like yeah. months and months. So it's a way of preserving um, milk as but well. But I, I fill the jars really full. So there's, yeah, yeah, That's that was my goal was mm -hmm. to not have zero dairy products <laughs> the whole time the cow is dried yeah. up. And then I've been cobbling together here and there between friends that have cows if they have a little extra milk and grabbing some. And so that sort of combined is helping us mind the gap, as it were. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> nice. 
When I first heard Allison talking about boza, the fermented drink made of millet, that's a household name in Turkey, I felt as if I was being transported back to a bazaar in the Ottoman Empire or traveling the Silk Road on the back of a camel, and I knew I wanted to taste it. Boza is fizzy, sweet, tart, and it's full of probiotics. You can drop it into your smoothies, spoon it on top of your breakfast, or drink it in the traditional way they still do in Istanbul, topped with cinnamon and toasted chickpeas. Fermented millet drinks were first made in that region of Europe in the 8th century BC, and as with all of Allison's courses, she's gone above and beyond in research and experimentation and testing on Rob and Gabe and given us an easy way to recreate the goodness in her own homes. If you'd like a fun and tasty way to get more probiotics into your life, bring her into your kitchen and have her walk you through how to bring this ancestral, dairy-free, gluten-free fermentation recipe with her amazing Boza video course. Head to www.ancestralkitchen.com slash Boza, B-O-Z-A, to check out the video course. And happy fermentation. Nice. Um... Kombucha is yeah. the next SCOBY ferment on here, probably the most popularly known as a SCOBY. And that's the one I would say we made the most of. I started making that years ago. And I I did not like the store-bought ones, but I already knew the principle that if I if I knew a food was good, but I didn't like it from the store, the store probably just messed it up. <laughs> yeah. So that was true. <laughs> yeah. So I started making it and then uh, was making like a lot as in my batches were 20 gallons at a time because I was serving everybody on the farm that I was working on and and I, I did the lunches so I would make like huge containers and ferment them and always have them rolling and then we started teaching classes making kombucha out there that was really fun mm-hmm. and you can see some of those pictures on my blog at farmandhearth.com if you just search kombucha there's two that should pull up to posts or whatever. One is just my basic kombucha recipe, mm-hmm. which I'm just, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it's the best kombucha <laughs> you've ever had. And, and I'm saying that honestly, because that's what everybody tells me, but that's also my opinion. But then the other one that pulls up will just be different flavors of kombucha that I enjoy. So kombucha is kind of like water kefir where it has a sort of neutral flavor of its own you can totally drink it as is Mm -hmm. but then you can also go back and flavor it you can make it more fizzy by adding um i think dried fruits do the best for trying to make it fizzy versus sweet or fresh fruit Mm -hmm. but you can you can bottle it you can um you can store it for quite a while you can also use it to make a kombucha a sort of a kombucha vinegar Mm -hmm. if it gets really really sour and do you keep yours uh, in the fridge after you've put it in a second ferment yeah uh yes so i don't typically actually do a second ferment on kombucha okay this is in the blog post but what i typically do is once i fermented the kombucha i put in like i I like the flavors of the fruits to be really strong Mm-hmm. And if I ferment it for that long, then it would turn into a strawberry okay. yeah. vinegar yeah. or so. Yeah. So I I will fill a half gallon jar, say maybe three quarters or halfway full with 
fruit if it's fresh or, you know, less if it's dried. I know a lot. And then I pour in the kombucha, I cap it really tightly and I put it in the back of the fridge and I go on with my life for like almost a month. And then when I pull it out and strain it, I mean, I've had people tell me like, tell me how much I'll pay you anything. Mm. Like it's so good. And the flavors are, and and I've also had people who told me, well, I'll tell you right now that kombucha is disgusting. I'm never going to drink it. And then they drank it and they're like, give me the mm. recipe. I'm not going mm. home without it. <laughs> it's amazing so, that these little details can make all the difference. Yeah. You know, someone yeah. at Gabriel's school, I gave them some kefir grains. They were just like, oh, it's just, it's really, it's not fizzy. It's not very nice. And I just was okay. able to tell her two or three things and it completely transformed her kefir. Just those small little attention to details can make a difference between a drink that's kind of bland and boring and something that people absolutely love buy the cookbook to know what they are <laughs> yeah, yeah. i wanted to ask you about kombucha have you ever made um kind of fruit things with the scoby you know have you ever dried out the scoby and made things oh with yeah 100 percent. Okay. that's all in that file that you can download off of my blog Excellent. it's actually a whole packet with a bunch of different recipes i've used it to make um like what we would think of as jello, you would call it jelly, mm-hmm. um, like gelatin desserts or just gelatin treats. You mm-hmm. can use kombucha, uh, kombucha and bone broth are two things that can kind of run around your kitchen and show up in a bunch of different dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's somewhere where you just need water, but it's a sweet something or it's uh, going to be cold, you know, you can throw the kombucha in. Although you can also cook kombucha as like a reduction and make a sweet syrup or yeah, I've seen it doesn't that even before. have to be sweet, but you can make a tart or savory, mm. um, sort of a syrup for beets or something. Mm. Um, and you can ferment it with vegetables too, if you wanted. And then the finished, uh, the fermented things you take out, like I would put tons of strawberries in, in the strawberry season in Virginia, which is pretty short, but mm. I'd make the most of it. And I would make strawberry soda. And oh my goodness, once the strawberry soda was done, I would either add a drop of lavender essential oil mm-hmm. to the bottle. And so it was a strawberry lavender soda, which mm. I mean, you just can't beat that. Mm. Or I would add a little bit of lemon and then you mm. had a strawberry lemonade. And that was over the top too. But then there's actually restaurants around me that wanted those fermented strawberries and mm-hmm. they were using them for these really boutique salads and things. Okay. So then you can take them. Like the, yeah. all the colors kind of sucked out of them. Yeah. Your drink is dark red, but then you've got these pale sort of strawberries yeah. and you can dice them into things and you just have a fermented strawberry. And they'll last in your fridge for a bazillion years. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> the other thing about these SCOBY ferments is that they're a really good way to make friends because all of them, mm. the SCOBY mm-hmm. keeps growing. And you can then, you have all these things that you just want to give to someone else. So, you know, you can ask around, you ask in health food stores, does anyone want them? And if you haven't got anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're a really good way to make friends. I think that that's a a nice thing to do. We have so many water kefir grains. I mean, we eat them as well. Rob has them with Mm -hmm. his breakfast. So you, you can eat, totally eat water kefir grains and you can put them into smoothies and kind of, you know, blend them up in a smoothie. Um, But we also give a lot away pass on the love yeah i'm excited to make use of your 101 because actually one of the questions you answered in there was mine allison Mm -hmm. where i said (laughs) how come i'm not getting many grains and you know you're talking about eating them and giving the way and i'm like no nobody touched these mine (laughs) so 
<laughs> I'm excited to see if that helps solve my problem. And with the kombucha, then um, it was years. I was making it for years before I ever saw people start selling them. So you can actually buy them online now if you want to. Okay. And and that's probably fine. Um, sometimes they come dehydrated. Sometimes they already come like liquidy, mm. ready to use right away. I don't necessarily know if one's better or worse. I do know that the SCOBY I have, I got from somebody, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. Mm. And she had got it from somebody else years ago. And it is a hearty SCOBY. I have tried to kill it. I have actually taken portions off of it and I've tried leaving it in a bowl on the deck for years. I've let it get infested with maggots. I've <laughs> tried not not the one I'm using. Not the one I'm using. Um I've dried it. I've like put it in sealed containers. You should be I've, putting this like... on YouTube because you'll get a viral <laughs> video. Can I destroy my scope? I just wanted to see what it could take, you know, like how and then I would take it back and try to ferment it. And gosh darn it if it didn't work every single time. So, uh, okay. I, but if you make a scoby from a grocery store kombucha, I'm just going to warn you, it's not going to do that. It will not tolerate that kind of torture um, because, because do they have been modified. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, the uh, uh, FDA, maybe it was here in the United yeah. States, maybe nine yeah, yeah i know here we go um some years ago maybe a decade ish ago i don't remember how long but they found that people were fermenting these bottles at home and making them mm. boozy mm. and so they went to the companies and said you have to actually change like you have to go in and change the yeast content of your scoby so they're different now the ones you get from the store mm -hmm. and they're not quite as tolerant of torments that a home usage can put them through but um but you can make your you own you can you can make yeah your own. yeah you so, can you, know. you can make one off of one of those mm. but you know see if you can find a really sturdy one from someone okay all right let's, let's move, move on. on yeah what's next way ferments so do you want to talk about punch Ooh. first that's the first one we've got here sure don't punch people it's not nice <laughs> that's it <laughs> okay no <laughs> that there we go all right moving on um punch is uh, Sally Fallon says in here that in the Nourishing Traditions book that it is a traditional um, Hindu word meaning five because it was made with five ingredients. Hmm. So, yeah. So the punch in Nourishing Traditions is one of our most favorite summer drinks because it takes zero percent effort. So you talked, Allison, about the milk kefir, how it mm -hmm. kind of separates if you leave it sit. Mm -hmm. So. I actually leave my kefir in the fridge and it will separate, you know, the, the kind of thick Kurdish mm -hmm. um, milk will sink down and then you'll have this liquid yellow sort of whey on top. Mm -hmm. You can ladle that right off the top and use it to make your whey ferments. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll strain out my milk kefir like through a cheesecloth or something, just mm -hmm. pour it in a cheesecloth over a bowl and let it sit for a couple hours or in the fridge overnight or something. And then you have like labnum, which is a thick sort of a cheese um, made out of kefir, but then you have all the whey on the bottom. And I pour that into ice cube trays and I freeze mm -hmm. those. And then I transfer those into gallon jars in the freezer. So then I've got these jars filled with whey ice cubes mm -hmm. and then when i want to make a fermented drink i just pull out like maybe two 
whey cubes and throw them into my beverage. So it is literally very low impact to my day, but big impact when you're eating it. Yeah. The punch in nourishing traditions has um, about uh, like a cup of lemon juice, a half a cup of rapadura or sucanut or another, um, like the same sugar you would use for water kefir, a half a cup of whey, a half teaspoon of grated nutmeg, and two hmm. quarts of filtered water. I don't really measure it at this point. I just pour yeah. everything into a half gallon jar and I kind of know where the line needs to be. Add the whey and then put your cap on and leave it on the counter for a couple of days. And you you could, one, you could drink it right away. It's definitely a tolerable drink right away. It's, it's sweet. It's going to be a little probiotic because of the whey. Mm-hmm. But when you let it sit, you know that it's going to consume more of that sugar. I don't think it consumes all of it because it's still pretty sweet when you drink it. Mm-hmm. But then you can also dilute it down further if you want to. But it's, I mean, we make this for picnics or if I go anywhere, I make it and everybody, I've never brought any home. And (laughs) one time I made a whole bunch for a family picnic and I still didn't bring any home because everybody was like, can I please take some of that home with me? Mm. (laughs) It's really good. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And I think that that sounds like a, a kind of a blank slate for you to put kind of whatever you want in. I mean, you can follow Sally's recipe or you can put in whatever fruit that you happen to have a glass of and do the same thing. I make it with um, lime. I make it with lemon and lime. You can make it with berries or you could do it with that watermelon that you make, Allison, where you Mm. you blend it and strain it. I mean, there's really no limit. You need some sort of a, like, carby sort of a fruit and then you can put in, you know, whatever you want. So what's the difference between punch and root beer? Because root beer is like an American thing. It's not something that I grew up with, so it's, it's not. It's American. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, well I, do I, know? I think it is. I mean, I just live here. Disclaimer: I'm only me. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, you, there's not so much of a tradition of but root beer. You're Allison, so you're probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, look at look at you, Allison. Sassafras was one of America's first export crops, a bigger hmm. seller than tobacco in the 17th century. Okay. American colonists and Europeans used it to treat a long list of complaints. So. Probably worth noting that sodas, has ever anybody ever heard of a drugstore? And you know how the drugstore has a soda fountain? It's mm. because sodas historically have always been tonics. They were always healing something in you. Okay. It's only our modern, very, very modern, like super recent. Like healing tonics is as recent as just Allison, like our parents' childhood. Mm. Like it's very recent. Mm. So it's only in the modern day that we've taken... Well, I guess we're reverse engineering that crave. We've taken them from the nourishing, healing, tonic stage and just made them into literally the icon of evil food is soda pop. Mm. And they should be the icon of the the central feature of your nourishing table. But here we go. You know, everything's turned on its head. So root beer is, as the name infers it's a ferment made with roots and you can use all different kinds based on your personal preference traditional root beer has i want to say at least seven roots um if you're a patron go check out the summer 2021 cookup that allison and i did we demonstrated three different recipes for from nourishing traditions and i made the root beer on camera Mm. and we also put the recipe for it in we had permission to put the recipe in a pdf for you guys 
that you can download. So definitely check that out in your patron links. Mm. Um, but basically the way you make root beer is you take whatever roots are your preference and you're going to simmer them in a pan until you have a concentrate. Mm. Then once it cools, um, well, I actually add the, let's see. Some, I, I always feel like if I add the sugar with the roots, then I'm going to strain some of the sugar out with the mm, roots. Does that make mm, sense? Possibly, yeah. So I add the sugar after it's completely, um, yeah, well, no, not cooled, but just after I strain it. Okay. So I yeah. simmer the roots, strain it, yeah, add the add sugar, the sugar. Any, any other flavors. I like to put in vanilla because, hello, vanilla. Mm. <laughs> Let's just be happy all around. <laughs> um, you can put in other um spices like coriander of course um you could put in anise you could put in um black pepper um uh, uh sally puts lime juice in which i think mm. is really good it rounds out the flavor mm. it kind of could be whatever is around you maybe whatever you have in your garden whatever you love whatever you need the healing benefits of maybe you want energy and better blood flow. So you are putting in black pepper yeah. just for that reason alone. Um, and then, so you add in your sweetener as well, which could be molasses. It could be um, rapadura or sucanut. It probably could be honey, but I've never tried that. Mm -hmm. I, I tend to use my sugar in ferments so that it um, can be consumed quickly mm -hmm. and easily without getting super sour. And then you just put it on the counter and ferment it again, like the punch. Yep. So it's it's the same thing except instead of using juice, you're making a syrup out of roots. Yeah. First. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So okay. Let's carry on on our way. The next thing we've got down underway from us is hay <laughs> haymakers. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Okay. Haymakers is um, as the name implies, it was used by farmers um, when they're making hay because it's rich in electrolytes. It's just, it's another recipe from Sally Fallon's. Although Allison, maybe we should do a little bit of digging into it and mm. see if it has a history and a context that makes it worth the oat book because yeah. it's made out of water, oats, and lemon juice or cider vinegar. And then you can add a sweetener like molasses, which I think if you are literally making hay, you should definitely put the molasses mm. in there. Um, and then you just mix it and uh, let it ferment again. So simple, um, tasty. That it's actually basically just a uh, soaked oats, yeah. really. Yeah. Like it's just soaked oats and then you kind of drink in the water out of it. I don't know if you're supposed to drink the oats out of it. I don't. I strain them out, but then you can cook them. Yeah. And you can still use them. Obviously, not throwing them away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, if I'm you had a sick cow, yeah. you could actually make this for the cow, Allison. Use the vinegar instead of the lemon juice, and yeah. you literally feed this to your cow. Yeah, and and if she was um, feeding a little calf, the oats might be really mm -hmm. beneficial mm -hmm. for her as well. Yeah, how mm. funny. Okay, I want to talk about beet kvass next, so I'm going to jump in. Yeah, I want to hear this. I love beet kvass. It's, um, it's colour. That's why I like it the most, I think, because it just mm. looks incredible. It comes from um, Ukraine, Russia, Poland area. All of those countries make it. And it's got a really long history as a health tonic. We were talking about health tonics just now. It's good for your blood. It's good for your liver. And it aids your digestion. Now, you can make it with whey or without whey. If you make it 
um, without whey, you're going to put more salt in it because what you want to do at the very beginning of the ferment, you want to control the bacteria and make sure that the uh -huh. lactic acid bacteria have a chance to establish themselves in your drink. So if you put whey in, you're giving it a kickstart already and there's lactic acid bacteria yeah. in that. If you're not, yeah. then add more salt because salt inhibits other bacteria and then you'll mm -hmm. have that lactic acid bacteria growing naturally. Um, you don't have to just use your beets once so um after you've left it to ferment and you like the flavor of it you strain it out and then you can fill up the jar again with water and get a kind of a second runnings of it which is a bit weaker but still got loads of um goodies in it and it's not one that necessarily is sweet I have made it sweet because what I have done oh. is I've taken, I've not put anything extra in the original ferment. I've just done beets. And then I've taken that and I've put it in a bottle and I've put something a little bit sweet in it, like a little bit of honey. And I've closed the bottle and I've left it to ferment on the room, you know, on the counter, room temperature. And that makes it kind of fizzy because the fermentation is still going on aided with a little bit of extra sweetness and so you can have uh -huh. fizzy beet kvass but traditionally it's not a sweet drink and it's not fizzy you know lots of cultures just you know they when they put those beets in the jar for the ferment with the water mm. and the whey or the salt they will add garlic for example or coriander seeds or bay leaves or all three to that fermentation and you can add lots of garlic to it literally so it becomes even more of a health tonic. You know, you're not just getting the benefits of the beets, but you're getting the benefits of fermented garlic as well, which is just a powerhouse. Um, oh, yeah. So it's not necessarily something you're going to kind of glug back, like you might do water kefir or, or root beer. It's mm -hmm. it's something that you, kind of, <laughs> you just want to shot <laughs> off the house. Yes. Um, okay, one, that's great. One thing I've learned from making it is that afterwards the beets are wonderful particularly if you don't do that filling up the jar again for a second time if you take the beets out after they've just been in for a four or five day fermentation that's how long I usually leave it you can roast those beets afterwards and if you've put garlic oh. and coriander oh. and bay all in with them as well oh my god they've got the kind like of a marinated beet. the edge of the fermentation on them and yet they're still a bit sweet and they've got all those spices on them and you put them in the oven and they are delicious Really, really. Would like that on my oat cakes, please. <laughs> yeah. Just give that me five really days. Good. And I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> All of these drinks really produce amazing byproducts as well. Yeah, indeed. Most of them do. So we're going to move now from talking <clears throat> about whey ferments to talking about wild ferments. Um, Maybe I should, mm -hmm. I just want to throw in there. Yeah, I'm not going to say any more drinks, but I'm going to say that with whey drinks, there are endless numbers of whey drinks you can make. And if you just need to spark your imagination, jump into the beverages section in the end of Nourishing Traditions. And Sally Fallon has brought in a really good collection of whey ferments from around the world. And that might spark your imagination nice. and give you other ideas as well. well yeah, I've forgotten yeah, about sweet potato. We didn't put sweet potato fly down here, did we? I've just forgotten No, no, one. we didn't. And there, we didn't do like the rice milk or anything. Yeah. But that's all things that you can investigate in that book there's so, so many of them you, know, you think you've got them all and then you're I like, know. Wow, another one comes up none I know so do you want to talk a little bit about um making punch with sugar if you don't want to make it with whey and you're going to do a world ferment well I'm I'll, I will but I'm going to look at you for this too okay. because I always make it with whey ah okay. so so I always make it with whey but then when you said 
kvass mm. could be made with whey. I did not know that. I always mm -hmm. just thought you had to make it without. Mm -hmm. So um, the, then that works on the wild ferments too with the punch and things like you said. I You would probably put a little salt in there because, well, I don't know. I guess it depends. The uh, lemon juice is pretty acidic, so you mm. might not actually mm. need any so when Salt. I when I do kind of I mean, I wouldn't call it a punch I maybe call it mm -hmm. soda or a naturally fermented okay. soda or something um, I generally don't use whey I would use mm -hmm. sugar I would make sure the sugar content was enough in there to okay. to have enough yeast on it the way that I do that is by making sure that you know you've got a solid sugar content in there but also you've got something in there which has got some natural yeasts on it. So you've got the skin of some fruits or you've got lemon in there that's been, you know, this organic lemon that you can leave the rind on it. Mm. You've got some herbs mm -hmm. in there, maybe some rosemary that you've taken from the garden. And all yeah. of those things are going to have a, a kind of a natural covering of yeasts. Combine that with the sugar okay. that you put in there and, wow, it just it does its thing generally. If it all doesn't, right. try upping the temperature or try putting more sugar in it. Um, we'll talk in a minute yeah. about sugar content, but um, that's the way. Just like I was talking about with the beet kvass, where you know you use you can use whey if you want, but if you don't want, you've got to put more salt in. With punches, you've just got to make sure you've got that sugar and source of natural yeasts, and it will just do its okay. thing naturally. So you would definitely want some lemon skins or something in yeah. here than others, or maybe just like. Honestly, shred in some ginger with the skin. That yeah, would probably perfect. do it. So um, what, what I did um, for the for the patrons for this episode, uh -huh. we're going to do a bonus, or we've done a bonus, that will yeah. um, have some of our favorite fermented drinks in. And I put a recipe in there for a raisin and lemon wild fermented punch, which just basically is made in the way that I've explained now. And... All the specifics right. are in there. And then you can drink that or I often use it to make a starter with and will then make bread with it. So, you know, these right. things are kind of like you said with the kombucha, they're multi-purpose. You can drink that or you can use it and combine it with flour and make a starter and make a bread using those, harnessing right. those yeasts in your bread. So that will be up on the treasure trove um, and we'll have other recipes and bits and goodies in for the patrons to dive into when they're ready you mentioned just oh so briefly something that's really important mm. and i'll add a friend of mine hello becca <laughs> she was making sourdough and i said you know she was like oh what is going on here and i said why don't you go take allison's free course the 10 steps for your sourdough starter mm -hmm. literally like two steps in you had solved her problem <laughs> And I know. <laughs> I know. So she was so excited and she keeps telling me, she's like, look at it now. Look, it's doing so well. And it was that her house was too cold. And so she okay. moved the starter to her laundry room where it's warm. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh my gosh, it went from yeah. just sort of this insipid little limp thing to foaming over. She had to split it into two jars and now she's able to share it with her mom and she's just, and it's working so well. She just sh showed Wonderful. me that she made hamburger buns. Um, yeah, so if your drinks, like if you're saying, oh, I've put milk kefir on the counter and it's three days and it's, well, your house is probably too cold yeah. and you can find somewhere warm to put it. M my favorite, now that I can't run my dehydrator all the time, like I used to because mm. of the power, mm. my favorite is I take a cooler 
and I put my containers of ferment, whatever it is, it could be your punch, it could be water kefir, milk kefir, whatever. I put them in the cooler and then I put in my hot water bottles, like the same ones that we sleep with at night. I mm-hmm. put those in there and close it up. And the next morning, everything's fermented really nicely. Um, the only thing is, I think you're supposed to separate yeast ferments. So I don't put I've something like that. sourdough typically in at the same time. I have never either never separated. Um, but since I don't have room in the cooler to yeah, put the sourdough exactly. in, it doesn't go in. Okay. But I should say, actually, the other day, Chloe and I made yogurt and then we both made sourdough bread and I, my small cooler was full of eggs ready to go somewhere. So I just used a big cooler. So we're like, ah, so we shoved our sourdoughs in there too. So I guess we do actually mix So them, I, but... I have a space which has a DIY proofing set up in it, which I will link in the show notes to the article that I've written about it which mm-hmm. basically Rob made for me. But it's an oven, our oven. When we use that as our DIY proofing box oh, and we yes. have an equipment that yeah. we put in there and then when I want to cook something, I have to take it out and use it as an oven and then wait right. for it to cool down and put it all back in. <laughs> um, but it works. But it's such a big space and that's the reason why I love it because I always have like, yeah. you know, like some days I have like four breads going on and I've got a beer <laughs> and I've got the, all these other things. Another rye book. And everything <laughs> just goes in together. It just does. And, yeah. it, and, I, and I've never had yeah. a problem. Um, I don't have molds either. I don't know if it's because our ferments are always in motion. I don't know if it's because they're really sturdy ones. I, I don't know really why. But um, yeah, I don't mind don't mold either. Um, there's something else. Oh, I was just going to say, it's not you fighting against the cold house. This is why our ancestors fermented beverages, because they would last so long during the cold seasons. Mm. And also because you could you could make beverages out of things like I'm doing with the milk, for instance, and sustain yourself over winter. A lot of people historically, they weren't milking cows in winter. So the only thing you would have would be any sort of fermented um, dairies or hard cheeses and things like that. Mm -hmm. So then in the summer, you also tend to drink more. I feel like at least I do because we're working outside a lot and you're sweating a lot more, which is not to say you can't get dehydrated in the winter, but certainly in the summer, you can just go through the electrolytes a lot faster. So yeah, just just think like an ancestor. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about cider? Because we've still got tons to do and we've been talking for ages. Okay. Um, okay. Well, there's not much to say for mm. me to say on cider because I don't have huge experience. I will just say that I've done wild fermented cider and I put it in a carboy with an oxygen yeah. Um, what's it called? Oxygen exchange on the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the best cider I've ever had. And then I tried fermenting some with an inoculation, I think champagne or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. I poured it all out mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. <laughs> and everybody had raved about how good it was going to be. So I was like, okay, this is going to be good. But I think I just prefer the wild ferment flavors mm-hmm. and the inoculation tasted, I mean, Alice, and it was, I was like, how do you make cider bland? Like, how do you do that? Well, it did that. Just go into a laboratory and make one yeast and dry it and put it in a packet (laughs) and sell it to people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You can also add honey to your cider when you ferment it. I have not done that, but I would like to try. So if anybody's done that, let me know know, how you liked it. Okay. So I've got a lot more wild ferments to talk about. So I'm just going to... Dive into this. So ginger beer, the first one. (laughs) 
I learned how to make ginger beer from Payel, who runs Kobo Fermentary. She is on Instagram. You can go to her profile and she has a highlight about ginger beer. She absolutely raves about ginger beer, the smell of the um, bug, which is what the kind of um, the bit that you keep is. She loves that. Mm. It's so easy to make ginger beer. You can keep the bug that you make, which is where you kind of culture the yeasts and bacteria on the ginger with sugar. You can keep that in the fridge for like ever, literally. So you can use it much, much later. I mean, we've got our bug at the back of the fridge and generally we make more ginger beer in the winter because of ginger and, and how that's really good for your immune system. And then during the summer, it just stays in the back of the fridge. Every couple of months, I get it out and feed it some more sugar, put a bit more fresh ginger in and then it goes back in. But also I use that bug that's in the fridge to start other ferments. So I've started beer with it. I've helped put it in water kefir. Mm. I've used the actual ginger root itself in cooking. So I'll take some of the grated ginger out that's in the bug and I'll put it in a curry I'm making or some other kind of dish that I'm making to give that ginger flavour with a bit of extra kind of zing. It's a really wonderful mm. ferment. And again, I usually second ferment it. So I will do one litre or two litres in a jar and then put it in a bottle and let it fizz up. Um, yeah. Beak kvass, like we talked about earlier, can be a wild ferment, doesn't have to be whey. Um, I wanted to talk about shrubs a little bit, which I don't have much experience with, but I know a little bit about. Um, and the word apparently comes from Arabic. The word sherb in Arabic means to drink. And it is a fermented oh. drink. It's a mix of fermented fruit and vinegar. So it, it's pretty much like a drinking vinegar. So you can imagine there's some complex flavors going on in there and basically you crush your fruit you put it with sugar plus whatever herbs or spices you want to do leave it to ferment for a couple of days then you add vinegar and you leave it mm -hmm. to mature until you've got the flavor that you want it's quite strong and often quite sour because of the vinegar so you can water it down with tonic water or, or fizzy water as you can any of the recipes i wanted to kind of say that um one of the patrons michelle um, was talking to me about her rye bread kvass and saying how it's a bit strong for her, as in a bit too sugary. She doesn't like it that sugary, but her husband does. So she gives her husband it full on and she mixes hers with half fizzy water. So any of the ferments, if you feel like right. they're too sugary or too strong for you, you can just water them down. So that shrubs are interesting one and one that I haven't played with much, but I'd like two more. And one I have played with is wine. And I mean, I think wines have been made simply from fruit and drunk and fresh for absolutely millennia. And in Wild Fermentation, um, the book by Sandor Katz, which is in our bookstore, which is linked in our show notes, there's a couple of really good templates for making your own wild wine. I've made strawberry wine quite a lot, and it is an absolutely wonderful thing to do. Um, to kind of watch it fermenting and then to taste it. I drink it young. I don't have any um, airlocks or carboys to ferment something for a long time. Um, and I've put the details for that one in the document for the patrons as well, how I do it. You could age it if you want to, like a lot of the other ferments we've talked about here, but then you need that equipment that I was talking about. And just to drink it young, it's right. fizzy, it's a little bit alcoholic, it's still sweet. And you can use those strawberries, like you said, um, from your kombucha. You could use the strawberries or whatever fruit you're using to make um, wild wine in 
in things afterwards. You can just eat it. Depends how long you leave it for, really, because the longer you leave it, like you said, Andrea, the colour comes out of the strawberries and the sweetness goes into the wine. Mm. So, um, but wild wine is a wonderful thing to make. And if, if anyone has a glut of fruit, I would say consider just making a wild wine with them. You just need water, yeah. sugar and your fruit. Yeah. There's so much yeast on that fruit skin. It will surprise you and it's such a fun thing to do. Um, Tapache is another example of a fruit wine. I've not ever made it because it is made with pineapples. And I live in Europe, which mm -hmm. is miles away from where pineapples are cultivated. Um, <laughs> but it's a similar kind of idea. You know, it's the skin is used and it's fermented. It is in a course over at the fermentation school, which we will link in the show notes, which is actually a really good course if you want a general overview of fermented beverages because it covers kombucha, it covers yeah. kefir, it covers yeah. fermented sodas, it's got an orangina in there, it's got crevasse in there, it's got milk kefir. Tetrape is in there as well. And as I did mention briefly earlier, we've got a 10% discount that we extend to patrons. Um, so if you wanted to get hold of that, which I think is $40, then you would get 10% off it. So the last one in my section on wild ferments is mead. And oh, mead, such um, a <laughs> historic drink. If you have read Stephen Harabuna's wonderful Sacred Herbal and Healing Beers, there's a really big section on mead in there, which is kind of historical. And you just never look at bees the same way again after you've read that. Um, just like the mm -hmm. wild wine, I drink my mead young. I've never aged it. And if you go online, you find a lot of recipes for mead have packaged yeast in them, just like Andrea's side ah, did. Really? Um, I have never done that, but I have had mixed results. So I find the more active the honey is, the more success and the quicker your mead is going to go. So, for wow. example, I have made mead with acacia honey and it's taken a very long time and it's not been um, particularly bubbly or fizzy. Acacia mm -hmm. produces a really light honey. I've also made it mm. with dark honeys, like in Italy would be a chestnut honey. And that I find is much more active and produces a more successful mead. So look for an unpasteurized honey, you know, go and find a local beekeeper who's making honey and then just putting their honey in a jar that's clean, not sending it into machines to be sterilized and make sure you use enough honey in the ferment. You need to water it down because honey doesn't ferment on its own because it's not liquidy enough, but make sure you use enough honey to make sure there's enough sugar in that ferment to keep it going. And again, the same rules apply, keep it warm um, because if it's not warm enough, it won't ferment. And it's a wonderful right. drink. You know, most people are used to mead that's been aged, but mead young is just fizzy and wonderful. Really, mm. really wonderful. Before we get on to grain ferments, Andrew, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a, a couple of questions that I've had about um, mm -hmm. ferments. The first one is sugar. A lot of people say to me, but there's this sugar in this ferment. I, I'm sugar sensitive or I don't want to, to eat this sugar. And a lot of people with water kefir have tried to use other sugars in their in their water kefir um i had someone here who was using stevia which isn't oh. really isn't a sugar um it's not gonna work. so i would say at the beginning of making ferments like 10 years ago i was a bit concerned about it but what i've learned is really that 
you are in charge of these ferments and you get to say when you stop. The shorter that you ferment any of these ferments with sugar in them, the more sugary they will be because the less action there's been between the yeasts and the sugar to convert that sugar into byproducts and give you fizz. Right. Um, the longer you leave them, the more the sweet taste will be removed because it's been transformed. And it, it's a balance because, you know, drinking vinegar, unless you're doing it consciously in a shrub, isn't necessarily a pleasant thing right. to do if you want to drink. So, you, you, you know, you can leave any of these ferments forever and they will end up being vinegar. Um, but you don't necessarily want to drink that. But it's mm -hmm. up to you and you totally can, can learn as you do these ferments okay, two days at this temperature gives me just a little bit of sweetness left, so it tastes really nice. But, yep. you know, I know that I'm not going to be imbibing that much sugar. And if you're making it for kids and you want to give them more sugar, then you know you can say, oh, okay, I'll only ferment it for one day. Um, mm -hmm. But the yeah. end result, generally, it, it does not equal the sugar that you put in. So I would say there's no need to be overly concerned about sugar. The other question that I get a lot is alcohol content because any yeast ferment that you're doing is going to produce alcohol as a byproduct. Um, wild ferments, um, it's, it's difficult to tell how much alcohol is in them because, you know, there's no one with a, with, a, <laughs> with a science lab who's going to go and be testing all these wild ferments and say, well, how right. much alcohol is in it? Because they're off doing things that... Um, chemical companies and medical companies are paying them to do. Things that make money. Exactly. <laughs> um, but with alcohol, if you're wild fermenting, you're not going to get as much alcohol as if you're fermenting with a yeast from a packet because you've got such a different mix of yeast and bacteria and there's so many different things going there. You get a mix of byproducts and frankly, you get more interesting flavours. If you're buying mm -hmm. a packet of yeast that is designed to do one particular thing and it's probably going to produce more alcohol. I know yeah. that some people have tested alcohol in kefir and it's very low. Usually it's about half to 1%. But I would say if you're worried about alcohol content, go slowly with your ferments. Just try a little bit. You know, just have like a shot glass or, you know, 15, 20 mils of that ferment a day. And also do what we said earlier, which is water your ferments down. So you're just, you're going to be having more hydration from the water and you're going to be having less alcohol. Right. Do you have anything you yep. want to add to that, Andrea? No, you covered it. I feel I like I'm that. talking really fast to try and get all the rest of the content. <laughs> <laughs> People are probably on there slowing the audio down like, what? Okay, so let's go to grain ferments. And I think probably yeah. I'm going to talk a lot here as well, aren't I? <laughs> so I, this just... is, I think you could write a book on this, Alison. Mm, one day, one day. So I've got four grain ferments to share with you. The first one is Boza. Boza is from the area around Turkey. It's something that we have all the time in our house. Literally, I'm, I'm either making it or I've just made it. We drink it straight. Sometimes we make it um, more liquidy and we drink it. Sometimes we eat it with a spoon. It is an absolutely wonderful drink to ferment. I think it is the favourite drink in our household because of the flavour. It, it is sweet, it is sour, but it is fizzy in a way that isn't like bubbles in kefir so you don't feel the physical bubbles on your tongue but it just fizzes the flavor fizzes in your mouth it is just amazing and the reason I started making it is because I wanted something for Gabriel who at that time was not eating any dairy 
and was lectin free. So it's made with millet. You can make it with other grains and other areas of the Balkans around Turkey have made it with other grains, but I make it with millet, which makes it lectin free, gluten free and dairy free. And wow. Gabriel absolutely you know, adores it. Um, yeah, histor <laughs> historically, it's got a really um, a good pedigree. You know, it was made in Turkey. And until very recently, there were sellers who went around the streets in, in Turkey selling boza kind of in milk on a, you know, kind of a milk yoke around their neck with jars of boza either side. Mm. There are still um, shops in um, Istanbul that sell boza and you can go there and buy it. I have a course on Boza, which I made a couple of years ago. It is 25 euros, which I think is about $20, isn't it? About kind of similar at the moment, about $20. <laughs> it's, it's changing every day. <laughs> it's a video course and it will take you through the whole process, through creating the starter to making the actual drink, to how you can use it, to troubleshooting, to how you can keep it going, to how you can put it in the fridge and stop it if you want to. Um, just yeah. absolutely everything to do with Boza. It is just an amazing ferment. Do you have anything you want to ask about Boza that I've forgotten in my love of Boza to put across, Andrea? I just think if, it, I don't think I ever heard of it before you mm. talked about it here. I've never been to Turkey and I don't know many people from Turkey. So it had never come up. But I did look it up after you first started talking about it. And you're right, they do sell it. But I don't think it's really the same as what no. you're making anymore. It's a more modern version, mm. like a inspired by, and then you can get all these toppings and stuff. So, so I think really the way to get the experience would be find somebody there who was, you know, traditionally making it, or take Allison's course and traditionally make it yourself. Yeah. But what a what a great option for people who want. I've seen the boys come home one time <laughs> when you and I were on video. They chucked themselves right down in the chair and started sucking down cups of that. <laughs> I know that Gabriel loves it. <laughs> it's like, where's the bowser? So. What's the bowser? <laughs> it's just, my way. it's a wonderful, wonderful ferment. And it doesn't give you any, um, this and the water kefir I wanted to ask, they don't give you that kind of effect that um, too much like sauerkraut mm. and things can do. They okay are not as, um, so they're not so much of a problem for me as sauerkraut. Okay. Um, okay. There are various different strains that um, yeast and bacteria give off. And some of them um, I have a problem with histamine with. So some of them give off right. more histamine producing bacteria. Some of them don't have those histamine producing bacteria. And some of them affect me in different ways. But boza and water kefir I find less um, potent in that way for me. So I think okay. for me particularly they don't have the strains in that cause me problems with sleeping and with histamine issues. So do you you think it's possibly then since we haven't had yours tested and everybody's mm. in their home might be different but mm. you think possibly that indicates it's a lower histamine yes, drink? Yes I would say so. Then, I mean okay. everyone reacts differently and I don't actually know right. because sure. I haven't tested them and I haven't tested the effect sure. they have on my body but you know I've got 10 years experience of it's drinking these ferments so um, I yeah. kind of know how my body reacts through experience um, right. And really the main thing is, you know, if you if you can't have dairy and you can't have gluten and mm -hmm. maybe even you can't have lectins, you can still mm -hmm. make this and it will taste amazing right. and kids will love it. And I you can that. put it in smoothies. You don't have to use milk kefir in smoothies. You can use boza. And mm -hmm. even if you, you aren't dairy free and you aren't gluten free, you know, if you want something that's unusual and interesting right. and so good, it's a wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful drink. Okay, perfect.
Okay, let's move on to my other love in the terms of grain ferments. <laughs> I've got so many of them, um, which is Suens and Swats. Suens and Swats are a traditional Scottish oat ferment, and they are something that, again, I have a course on, which is over at the fermentation school. Suens is um, a wild ferment made with traditionally the husks that came back from the miller after the Scottish had their oats ground into oatmeal. So they'd get their oatmeal back, which they'd use to make porridge and oatcakes and all those other good stuff. And then they'd have the husks, which had bits of the white um, endosperm of the grain still clinging to them, you know, little minute bits. And rather than throw them away, they fermented them. And they made two products with it, um, a porridge, which is suens, and a drink, which is the fermenting water, which is called swats. And we cook up the suens mainly as porridge, but you can also drink the suens by watering it down and making kind of a thick, wintry sort of, you know, put your hands around a mug drink. Um, but generally we drink the swats, which is the wild fermented liquid that those oats have been in. And we drink that straight. It's got a, a kind of a tart, lemony flavour. Um, we drink it cold in the summer because it's really refreshing. A bit like the haymaker's water, I think, that we were talking about earlier. I was we, just going to say that. Yeah, it's similar, really like similar. And we also um, drink it warm in the winter. And I love to put spices in it. So I put like anise, cardamom, um, nutmeg, oh, oh, all yeah. those lovely warming spices and, and heat it up in the yes. winter. I also use it in breads oh. and in, to kickstart other ferments. It's just, it's a really <clears throat> versatile yeah. thing. And the good thing about it is you get your porridge as well. So you've got this porridge, which is really easily digestible because it doesn't have any oat bran in it, which is where most of the phytates are. It's right. been fermented, right. so it's going to be lower in phytates anyway. And then you get mm -hmm. this drink as well, which you can just keep in your fridge <laughs> and, you know, have cold, have warm, warm up, used as a starter. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Really. And I've been... When you... Yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, no, you finish. I was just going to say, I've been doing <laughs> so-and-so so swats now for nearly three years. Um, yeah. A lot, you know, almost continuously. And I just can't get bored of them. They are yeah. the flavour of the oats and the flavour of the wild ferment and the fact that you have this porridge and a drink and the many ways you can drink mm. and eat both of those things. I just, I absolutely love them. I really do. And I think that comes across <laughs> in, in my course. You know, so many people have taken that Simmons course. It's one of the most popular courses at the fermentation school. And I'm just so enthusiastic nice. about about it. It's... It's a wonderful way to use oats in a way that people don't know about. And it will surprise you and then you will get hooked if you're anything like me. <laughs> what were you going to ask me? Um, oats are gluten-free, though that they grow mm. gluten-free, correct? And the only reason I think you said that they might not be gluten-free is due to being processed on equipment. Yeah, that's right. That also. Okay, so we get our oats from a mill. It's actually literally across the highway from us, mm. um, a farm and a mill out here, and they only do oats. So okay. they are all so they labeled gluten-free. Gluten -free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and do you, so put the, your, 
put the links for these courses in the show notes for sure. Mm. But also, which one? Okay, Adriana upgraded her Patreon account to the next level. That's and right. Which was the one that? So she got the Bose course it? free. So Ooh, Adriana okay. came up course, to right. our stewardship level on our Patreon, yeah. and because of that, she. We, we gifted her my Bose course for free. She also then gets a 30% discount on my Suins course and my sourdough oh. rye bread course over at the fermentation oh. school. Yeah. Jeez, that's awesome. Mm. I love it. And that is something she can make for the rest of her life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, literally, the rest of her yeah. life she can be making that. Her grandkids, you know. Uh, what oh, an awesome uh, gift you're giving us. Okay, what I, uh, let's hear about the rye kvass. Yeah, so rye kvass is next. So rye kvass is another grain ferment because it's made with bread. It's absolutely delicious. And in, in Russia, basically, it's a traditional beer, I would say. Okay. Um, it uses rye bread that you toast to start with to bring out the flavour of the rye bread, you know, to have some of those reactions go on. And also sugar as well as the rye bread. And I've made it mm. two ways. One, which I have an article on my um, blog for, just uses bread and sugar. And when you've done that first ferment, that bread then becomes a starter because it becomes inhabited by all the yeasts that have mm. been in that starter. And you use it again and again and again. Um, the recipe wow. for that is on my website. I will try and remember to link it in the show Does notes. the bread just become like a yeah. soup in the bottom of the No, it, it does okay. break down a little what? bit. So you cube it to toast it. Uh-huh. But as you use it okay. more and more, it does break down. But it it kind of like crumbs, wet crumbs. You know, you can imagine bread crumbs oh, wet. Oh, okay. And I use a and sieve just to strain it, it yeah, each okay. time yeah. into a second ferment into a bottle. And then you take okay. what's in the top of the sieve, which is the starter. You put it back in a clean jar, more sugar, uh-huh. start again. Um, that's oh, the way I okay. do it. The other way you can do it is by just using that bread once. So you do the same thing. You cube the bread, you toast it, you put it in a jar with sugar and any other flavorings you want to do. Then you put sourdough starter in there. Oh, Ellie, so um, unheated. From, yeah, Ellie from Ellie's Everyday does that. And I know that Michelle, the patron that I was talking about earlier, does that too. Um, I've done it both okay. ways. I kind of like the first way because you don't, have to keep saving bread and using it again and again and also there's a difference in flavor you know if you put a sourdough starter in there you're inoculating that ferment with a certain profile and therefore the ferment will have a certain flavor if you do just the rye bread and sugar it's more kind of wild yeast going on and it's a bit more varied in the flavor Um, but both ways are good if you were only gonna make it like once a year maybe the sourdough starter and bread one would be the easiest that's correct but if you were planning to refresh it constantly then probably the bread one that you reuse would make sense yeah completely okay Um, and it's got a really deep flavor it's known as the russian cola because it does actually taste a bit like coca-cola not that i've tasted coca-cola with the rye i can imagine 15 years but (laughs) it does taste like coca-cola sometimes in the second ferment i will put mint which is a traditional kind of flavor for the second ferment but i know that if you put zest in there like lemon zest or orange zest they both go really really well um and it's oh orange oh it's really nice with orange zest um do you ever heat this one like no i've never heated it but you could i imagine mine tends to be quite fizzy because the second ferment it and so if you heat it you lose that fizz and i miss that you know right yeah 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 so um yeah okay 
<clears throat> we're getting towards the end. Wow. The end of grains, anyway. Are we, though? <laughs> no, we're not. So, the last one on grains is beer. So, go back and listen to our episode that we dedicated to beer a few episodes back, if you're interested mm. in this, because it's a real... Um, Such a good one. ...kind of education in it. So, my journey yeah. into beer started with Boozer, which is not Boza, it's Boozer. It's got a U in it which is in wild fermentation. Boozer is an ancient... Is that where we get our word booze? booze? I like, think oh, so. I don't know. Booze. So it's like boozer, okay. boza, booze, beer. It's already similar yeah. etymology. It's all right in the same... same Indeed. Um, boozer is an ancient Egyptian beer, which um, involves malting half the grains and cooking half your grains into a little bread and then fermenting them and leaving the grains in the ferment. I've kind of moved on in exploration since then. I'm now making a kitchen-based, home-cultured, home-malted ale that's free from hops and doesn't taste bitter like our modern beer has become. And as you heard at the top of the episode, we had we had some for lunch. And it's just, I had it and I was I said to Rob, I could serve this to anyone who comes in here. You know, sometimes I do my ferments and they're really sour or they're really kind of tart or they're really kind of got some weird old flavor in or I put do recipes with not much sugar in because I'm not uh-huh. a fan of sugar and sugar affects me kind of health wise uh-huh. but this beer we've got it to a point now where I just if anyone came in I would just say try this and I would explain what it is and I would be really proud wow. of the flavor and the yeah. texture it just is a it's a wonderful drink and I'm I hope that as time moves on I can have a course like I do for the Boza and the Suens and show uh-huh. it to people. Oh yeah. That it th- that would be really great because beverages are just a little bit harder to get the information on. And mm. I think kind of like what you found with the Boza, part of the reason is because people aren't making them day in and day out year over year yeah. like they historically were. So there's yeah. a lot of people out there who have made one or two a few times mm. or maybe even for a couple months or a year, but they haven't been making it for years on end. Yeah. And so they don't have as many um, iterations or you know, they can't yeah. say, well, you know, when you use this bread for after two years, it does this, you know. that That's what I need to do with the beer. You know, people have asked me for a course, but I need mm. to just do it again and again and again with different starters, different right. this, different grains, right. different, and learn everything about it before I'm prepared to go and, you know, show people because I, I want to be able to help with everything that goes wrong and be ready for questions. So, I'll well, that, that is something I, I would say if anybody's considering getting Allison's courses, that's something you'll notice is that and I know because I've watched you work on them, mm. but the depth of, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a course as detailed as yours are because you go so far down the road of, you know, pushing the envelope and then, well, what happens if this, and then, mm. and then like, I know things you're like, well, I, I made it for five years. And then I decided that I would try to make the course on it instead of, well, this weekend I learned how to make kombucha. So I'm going to write a, you know, documentary on it or whatever. So yeah, your courses are actually quite thorough, which I think is in this, in this era of courses being so popular. I think that is something that's very hard to come by. So thank um, you. Yeah. Your courses are excellent. Yeah. Okay. So that is the end of the grain section. (laughs) (laughs) I could go on for several days about those drinks, but 
we have a podcast to finish. So um, <laughs> let's talk about smoothies. Do you want to do some talking so I can rest my voice for a bit? <laughs> okay, you can have a break. Well, I would say smoothies is a... It's one of those things that can be made with the byproduct of your ferments or just with your ferments incorporated in with other things. And especially, I feel like, especially in the summertime, we'll do a lot more smoothies because the kids want cold things. So if you make a lot of, like, I'll make a lot of milk kefir or you can make fermented almond drink, um, Excuse me, that's in Sally Fallon's book. I've made that mm -hmm. and fermented it. You can pour those all into ice cube trays. If you have a lot of a fermented drink, I would even say something like beer, although I haven't done that. Mm -hmm. But say you think, oh, I'm just not going to go through this, or maybe we're going out of town or or whatever. Pour it into ice cube trays and freeze it if you have the room. And those can turn up in all kinds of fun drinks over the next couple months. And we've come up with some really fun ones. I've even frozen coffee that we've made. And like I said, I freeze away. I've made, I've blended the ginger and lemon and made concentrates. I've made just ginger, concentrated ginger water. That is actually, you can use it to start ferments as well because it's, I blend it with the skin on and everything. And then I strain the ginger out and then I pour that water into ice cube trays and then I'll use it for either just making drinks or um, or making uh, ferments with. <clears throat> so there's lots of things you can do by freezing your beverages. And then also I know a lot of people say, you know, when it rains, it pours. You either have no way and this you can't yeah. buy way or you have a gallon at a time and you don't know what to do with it. So if you can freeze it, I think you did it too, right, Alison? Yeah, you I tried did. freezing it. Yeah, and yeah. I've still and got it some still in my ferments. freezer. It's brilliant, fantastically. Yeah, it ferments things really well. I remember we had sort of questioned: Is it still going to ferment the drinks? But mm. no, I, honestly, maybe even faster. <laughs> like they mm. fizzed right up. Yeah, so, I often freeze my um, Boza those... starter, and then it, you can get it out, oh. and, it, and you can make Boza with oh. it again. If so, if you're going right. away for okay. like a month, just put the Boza in the freezer, and, and it works fine. Yeah. Based on your advice, I also froze some milk kefir grains in water, I think mm -hmm. you said to do. Yeah. Um, and you can freeze your water kefir grains as well. So I have little jars of those in the freezer because uh, you just never know what could happen. Maybe somebody babysits your ferment, it doesn't survive, <laughs> or um, yeah. you forget about it, or you have a baby and you just don't pay attention to anything other than the baby for a couple months. Mm. Uh, I'm just saying things that I've done in the past. <laughs> and it's nice to be able to get that frozen starter out. And then of course, Allison, you said starters are a good way to make friends, but it's also a good way to have, it's like um, filing investments in a diversified yeah. portfolio. So leave starters with people all over the place. And then um, if something happens to your sourdough starter, say, then you can call up a list of friends that you know have your starter mm. and see who's got some to share. So mm. it can go around and come around. Indeed. Uh, smoothie smoothies includes the lassi, which I think actually there might be a recipe for that in nourishing traditions. Hmm. Um, I have never made that. I have been served it. It's a fermented drink or a fermented milk drink. I'm just looking to see if she has it in here. No, I don't see it. Um, made with uh, fermented yogurt. And hmm. then there's the cultured milk smoothie in nourishing traditions, yep. which I think I talked about that, Allison, on one of our very earliest episodes where we said, um, three of our favorite 
Yeah, the first um, Nourishing recipes. Traditions episode. I don't know what number it is, but the first oh, one. it's like number four about. or something. Yeah. Like three or four. It's way yeah. early. Um, that is one of my staples, and it's a great one for everybody, but I would say especially nursing moms. It's great for the kids. Love it. Um, and it's so filling. It has egg yolk in it. and has fat, and it has the fermented milk. And then, um, Allison, you said you could put boza in smoothies. Yeah. Exactly. In the same way, you know, you can put fruit in, you can put greens in, you can put mm. whatever you want in with it. You can put it with anything, with nut milk, with, with, with anything. Yeah. It's really yeah. a wonderful base for smoothies. Yeah. Okay. And then you can also make clabbered milk, which mm. there's a lot of different ways to do that. You need very fresh, very clean raw milk for that. And, um, uh, you can clabber it to different thicknesses. And so mm-hmm. you can clabber it where uh, Beatrice, who did um, one of our first videos in the Patreon treasure trove where she mm-hmm. demonstrated how she prepares sukuma, then she told me, maybe not in that video, I don't remember if it was then or after, how they made ghee and different things like that. But I know that they'll pour milk into uh, gourds and then it was her job mm-hmm. to shake it <laughs> constantly. Um, so. You can put clabbered or the milk in a container on the counter and just jostle it every once in a while and get almost like a yogurt-like ferment. Or mm. you can let it separate completely into curds and whey and use it for like schmierkes or different things. So mm, you could go on and on. But you could, <laughs> yeah, there's really no limit. Um, anywhere there's, you know, every region of the world, every um, village, every mountaintop every culture has versions of dairy ferments and grain ferments and whey ferments and there i mean there are thousands of them so what what recipes are you going to put in the patreon document with my um wild wine and my um lemon and raisin what are you going to about putting in the summer punch because okay um because we make it so much, it just seems mm. like I should. I was also thinking about putting in the blueberry vanilla kombucha. Mm, um, nice. Just because it's such a popular one over here. And it's such a it was such a seasonal one and this will be going out around when blueberries are yeah, you're right. gonna be coming forward. So forward thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> okay. And you've got the strawberry wine in there and you yeah. put in your rosemary lemon raisin yeah. in it. So indeed. Okay, great. Wonderful. Sweet. Well, I think we could we could just carry on and probably we will have more um, episodes on fermented drinks in the future because we could go into so much more depth in virtually mm. all the ones that we've talked about. Um, but True. I feel like that was a, well, I think we did justice to a kind of an overview of it there. <laughs> yeah. I hope this leaves you feeling like you have lots of options, but that you can... I don't want somebody to think you have to do all the beverages, but look at what sort of suits your mm. lifestyle. If maybe you've never done any ferments whatsoever, maybe just a wild ferment, like the juices and things on the countertop would be the easiest or a whey ferment if you can get your hands on whey. Mm. But um, I hope that this leaves you feeling like it's attainable to have fermented drinks on hand all the time. Mm. It's, it's actually quite simple. Nice. That's a nice thing to end with. Thank you very much, Andrea. Yeah. All right. Till next time. Yeah, we'll do. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration, and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.